the hard yards brought to you by Sports Joe. To the short side. Before, but I'm the referee on this field, not you. Hi Rob, Zeebs here. Just want to discuss the captaincy next. He's calling. Oh, and Ring Rose comes through. Oh, that is brilliant from Ring Rose. Ring Rose is going here. What a score! Welcome along to the Hard Yards. I'm Andy McGeady. I am joined in studio by Pat McCarry. Pat, how are you? Good, back, back fighting fit again, yeah. You had pneumonia. Yeah, <laughs> I was saying, I said it to a few of my mates, I was out at the weekend, they said, oh, you sound like you have a bit of a cold. And I said, oh, I had pneumonia. And they said, isn't that what 70-year-old women get to me, they said. And <laughs> Which, shingles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my bones hurt now, but yeah, um, you, you'll still hear it in my voice a little bit. I've got that kind of husky pneumonia thing going on in my voice. So you don't, you're not on a Brian Cowan, no? No. <laughs> right, <laughs> grand. And uh, James Downey. Andy, how are you? I am well, how are you? Very well, sir. Uh, we'll also be speaking to EPCR Director General Vance Gaillard about Heineken's decision to sponsor the Champions Cup from next season. It's the, back. The gang are back together. <laughs> oh, back. It's, it's, has it ever left? Well, no. like I still refer to it as the Heineken Cup. I'd say, like you know, it's just one of those I think we'll ask associations, them. isn't it? We'll ask them about that. Yeah. In fairness, I mean, you know, why do you bother? Everyone's been doing it anyway, so. Yeah, um, and we'll have the lowdown from the Australian perspective for the series. A Sports 360 writer, Alex Brown, joins us to ex- discuss the Australia team and what they want from the series and how they think Ireland will go. Uh, before we start, make sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all good podcast app to get the stro- show straight to your phone. Sorry, it's a bank holiday mistake. <laughs> um, yeah, that was a nice start to the weekend. Sevens, Jimmy. Yeah, Time on the sofa, yeah? I did, yeah. I had a, had a quiet day yesterday. Um, so glued to it. In fairness, um, like for an invitational team, as they're saying, you know, it's they really produced the goods, didn't they? You know, getting to that semi-final, okay, it was a bit of a stretch. You're playing against like how, like Fiji are just unbelievable. Like it's ridiculous. It's men against boys. Even before they played Ireland, it was men against boys. But um what a what an effort though. Like to beat the States and the way they did it and then to beat England then to get third place in Twickenham. Always a nice little uh, <laughs> caveat to have there at the end. But look it's just a bit kinda like you kinda you look at it and you kinda see all the club players that are playing there and you kinda want it to be so much more full time, you know, and just mm. th- like the input that all the rest of the countries have and we don't have it as much. Um it's a pity. Um and especially when you see what the players have achieved there and Look, it's it's brilliant for the game, isn't it? Like, and I think it has ev- everyone's interest over the weekend, which is which is great to see. Yeah, it did seem to to grab people, all right. Mm. Um, I mean, sevens is a is a brilliant game, and it's a great thing to to watch and get into. Uh, it can be used as a pathway, correctly. Mm-hmm. If you look at um, Ione for the All Blacks, you know, like he's he came through the seven system, like he was playing there consistently, and it's just a great base for skill sets you know it's like you're, you're catching pass and under pressure it's got to be huge you know so mm. um, I think if Ireland can do something along those lines you, even if you get one player it's worth it well that's it I mean the, there's a there's a huge amount of funding that actually comes centrally from World Rugby for this and the you know to, to get a team on the road like that uh, it's not huge money but in the past, IRFU have made choices and those choices did not involve sevens for a long amount of time. I mean, they were saying, right, we're going to fund Connect, for example, a bit more fully and not put money into sevens. Um, but they're there now. But they yeah. just say they're an invitational side. So they're they're invited to London this weekend. They're invited to Paris for next weekend. But they lost the Hong Kong qualifier tournament yeah. this season. So it's concentrating that next season. But you're also looking at players who are pretty much not contracted. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no contract to players that I know of, um, and look, you're you're kind of isolating the the talented players that are there. You, like, I've played with some lads that would be like, you are perfect for sevens. Mm-hmm. Like, you'd be you'd have all the skill sets for sevens, and they just it's just because they're in the system in the fifteen system that it's it's unavailable to them to kind of go down that pathway. Well. If they were there, like again, skill sets, small things are improved consistently, and uh, the money's not great in sevens. I can understand that, but still, it's a, it's a different path. Like, and not everyone's built or made for fifteens. Some people are seven specialists. Like, as I say, the Fijians seem to just produce both, mm. <laughs> you know. And um, 
but look, I think it's 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 a it's a pathway we should look at. Well, the Fijians don't have many fifteen specialists. <laughs> put it that exactly. way. Yeah, yeah, right. exactly, exactly. I um, thought it was um, in, funny there yesterday, just with the fact that lads were like lacing in tries from all over the place, and you could just see on Twitter people asking, "Who does he? Play? Do we own him? Is he Leinster? Yeah. Is he Connacht?" Like and mm. like Balakoon, I think is uh, Ulster Ulster lad and Conroy. Yeah. There was a big debate over who, kind of, who owns him. Who owns him? Yeah, yeah, who does he play for? And it was kind of the next, the next Robbie Henshaw or something. Well, we're, there's nothing like a bandwagon. Yeah, for Irish sport, <laughs> especially when the sun's shining. You know, it's good. It's all feel good. Um, but there is one aspect to sevens as a pathway, which is that you can't teach speed. And if you want to get players involved in rugby who have serious pace, then sevens is a great route mm. for that. Because you can get them used to contact. I mean, you get proper athletes coming in. I know I saw uh, Brian O'Driscoll has talked about this before. I've talked to someone on the IRFU backroom um, staff about this before. And they've asked the question, how can we get more guys with raw pace? As in, Dennis Hickey pace, game-changing pace. Mm. And we don't have many. No, and like uh, Pat mentioned there, uh, Jordan Conway or Conroy was like, like he's got out-and-out gas. Wheels. You know? But like you look at the American kind of version of it and what they do they get their ex-collegiates or American or NFL athletes who are specimens and just go right you've got wheels you've got gas all we got to do is kind of transfer a small bit of uh, kind of bit of rucking bit of passing bit of catching which you can work on easy but like speed just kills it like you know mm. and you saw like even Dan Norton yesterday just out now pace out now gas Carl Niles like speed kills you know it's like ridiculous I used to hate it playing 15s never mind playing 7s like, and believe you me I attempted 7s before <laughs> yeah I, we talked about that before yeah yeah, yeah but it's like it's not, I'm not built for it like, but, <laughs> but, but like the, the Americans have a kind of right you know they have athletes as you say like, and they have raw pace and they mightn't be suited to 15s but hmm. if 7s is a pathway for them to kind of play for their country or, and which is the be all so why not yeah, and as you say, the, the important point is when you've got a core, if you have a core and, you know, a contracted core, ideally, of sevens players, then you can filter people in and out and it works well. We've seen a few players on the fringes of the provinces, provinces have a go in sevens over the last couple of years. We haven't played it. Yeah. 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 Um, and so this is good. And the more hype we can get, the better. Roll on seven series events at the Aviva Stadium. Yes. Someday. Yes. Be good. Big umbrella. Maybe. <laughs> Right, that's it for sevens. Uh, looking forward to fifteens now. Ireland have a series against Australia to play, and for an Australian perspective, we're joined on the line now by Australian journalist Alex Brune. Hello, nice to talk to you. Uh, thank you for joining us here on the Hard Yard. So, Australia looking ahead to three tests against Ireland ahead of the Rugby Championship. Um, we're going to be talking about in a while what Ireland want to see from this tour, but what will Australia want to see from this tour? Because all is not completely um, cheery with rugby and Oz. Is that fair? Well, yeah. I mean, Ireland have already done a great service for Australian rugby because they've got some interest in this series. Um, they've sold out the Sydney Test already and the sales are really good for Brisbane and Melbourne. So all the Irish based down in Australia are really getting behind their team and coming along to see the game. So, I mean, already Australia is very excited and Rugby Australia is certainly very thankful for that. But in terms of uh, what you know, the Wallabies are wanting to get out of it, really it's, it's just building towards the World Cup. Um, Michael Checker's got a very inexperienced squad and I think that you know, Checker called them the Jolly Green Giant coming down to, to play us and I think he's very aware of how good this Irish team is but I don't think the Australian public is and I'm not even sure if the players are aware. Israel Folau was asked a couple of days ago, what does he think about the Irish team? And he said, and I don't know if he was downplaying things. He said, oh, I don't know anything about them. I haven't watched any videos yet. So how he, um, you know, being the great player he is, could miss the extraordinary rise of Irish rugby is, is beyond me. And, you know, I'm, I'm full of nothing but admiration for the structures in Ireland, the national team, Joe Smith, I mean, what Leinster have done this year is extraordinary. Um, and what Ireland did in the Six Nations was extraordinary, and, and all without players like Sean O'Brien. So, you know, I'm, I'm just... I'm, I, I, hats off to what you've achieved in Ireland because it's absolutely extraordinary. 
I've seen so Alex some of the uh, the early uh, maybe articles when Ireland arrived was uh, talking about James Ryan and and I think I think Georgina Robinson had something on him but um, yeah people are kind of aware of his kind of unbeaten run but with James is there any other of the young Irish players that are standing out already to you that that, that might have an impact? Well, I've watched a lot of Ireland this year, so James Ryan, phenomenal player. Um, you know, if, 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 if you needed it, but you've, you've got another one. The back row is extraordinary. You know, the front, the, the front row, those five props, those five Leinster props, and that's unfair that they all come from Leinster. <laughs> it completely is. But then you go out wide to Jacob Stockdale, and what a player! You know, down in Australia, they're calling him the Irish Jonah Lomu. So he's he's an amazing player. And I'm a big, big fan of Bundiaki, and he may not even start, he may not even play. But, you know, when you've got two players like Connemari and Johnny Sexton there who are just going to control the game to the level that they will control it, and you've got such great players like Rob Carney at the back, I mean, even the experience of Keith Earls, the, the great thing about the Irish side is it picks itself. Whereas this Australian team, I mean, I, I saw a tweet the other day saying, from somebody, you know, who's quite well connected with rugby, saying you looked at the Wallaby squad and you could only recognise 10 names. So, you know, some of the names, you know, people can't even pronounce, let alone know who they are, let alone, you know, know who they are. So it, it's a really, really unknown quantity for the Wallabies. And, and Michael Checker has a lot of decisions to make when he sits down to pick that team. Most of the starting 15 come from the Waratahs. Um, and uh, the Waratahs have been in pretty poor form this year, to tell you the truth, in Super Rugby. The Rebels, a lot of the players come from there too. And that's a, that basically team is, is a team made up of of combining the force who are now defunct and the rebels together. So there are a couple of guys who are just finding their feet. And he just keeps throwing Hail Mary passes. I mean, Tom Banks has been selected. Tom Banks, eight months ago, was was tiling bathrooms. And now he's in the Wallaby squad. So, you know, I think they've got a lot of decisions to make. And also, they only have to make those in six days. They finish playing Super Rugby on Sunday. They play Ireland on Saturday. So the questions he has to answer in a very, very short period of time make this incredibly difficult for the Wallabies and and I, I personally I can't see anything but an Irish victory You were um, you were tied on bathrooms at the weekend Jimmy weren't you? <laughs> I don't know about that but it's, I, I saw <laughs> I actually saw Tom Banks playing um, last weekend and look I think it's Czech has got an interesting way of doing things isn't he like and I think he's he's gone on form players who are actually kind of shown some bit of form over there but do you, like is it, are you playing it down a little bit that like you know oh, look we've selected these guys like this guy was tiling this guy was doing this and like it seems to be kind of an well I think so anyway that this would be a way that Irish people might normally go about things kind of play down the whole thing look we were expecting nothing this is a whole new squad um, like surely there has to be some sort of confidence in there about, uh, about where the Aussies are going well, listen, I think the Wallabies are confident, and I'm not sure where that confidence comes from, but it's partly Checker's fault too, because, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but he started the, the revitalisation a bit himself when he you know, took Leinster to the, to the European Cup a number of years ago. So, I mean, Checker more than anybody knows Ireland, and listen, in years past, it would be downplaying, would be saying to you, oh, that guy's all right, and that guy's not much good, and we'd know 100% how good they actually are. And, you know, there are some good players, Um but Michael Hooper, who's the young captain, is, is not in great form. Adam Coleman is from the Rebels. He's a lock forward. He's a great player. And you'll, you know, I think you'll really admire him during the, during the, the term. Will Genny has been a bit injured. And as I say, Foley, Kirtley Beal's been a bit up and down. The one player who's absolutely outstanding and is world-class is, is Israel Folau. But Israel has issues around himself too, of course, because of... You know, these quite uh, strong tweets he's been sending out about various issues. So there's a bit of a cloud over him as well. I, personally, I really like Reese Hodge as well, but he may not play Reese Hodge. He may play Dane Haylett Petty. I mean, they're all, you know, they're all, there's some good players there, but whether they can gel in the time that they need to gel. And, you know, one player who's missing is an extraordinary young flanker we've got called Jack Dempsey, and he made a massive difference when he beat the All Blacks last year. But he's out injured. He's been out injured for a long time, Jack. So I think they're really going to miss him. And the big problem is at hooker. Stephen Moore, who's you know, comes from an Irish background, of course. Stephen's retired. Um, they didn't decide to bring Tatafu Palaja now back from England, which really surprised me. And the, 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 the third choice, Jordan Ulysses, got injured on the weekend playing for the Rebels. 
So, you know, they're bringing in a fourth-choice hooker, uh, Brendan Pienga from uh, from uh, the Reds, and the fifth-choice hooker, I have got him, no, I don't even know who it is, to tell you the truth. So, I mean, they're really, you know, the Checkers expecting these guys to really step up, but Ireland is so organised and so disciplined, they're not going to give Australia the ball. They're just going to keep pounding away at that line till Australia misses. Tackles and uh, you know, unless Ireland have a very, very off day and do what Brian O'Driscoll did on the Lions tour many years ago and head down to the, the pub at Manly the day before the game, I, you know, I can't, I can't see them slipping up here. Yeah, so the series odds for perspective here are so it's the bookies have it sixty four six sorry six two four uh, for an Ireland two one series win uh, seventeen to ten on Australia two mm. one win nine to two Ireland three 0 and five to one Australia three 0 so twenty two to one any other result which basically means twenty two to one against a draw in any game, right? Um, but for context, mm. like Ireland haven't won in Australia for ages the two thousand and eleven World Cup beating Australia wasn't in Australia mm-hmm. so it was a neutral venue and I think we forget that sometimes mm-hmm. so getting a win down there we're taking that as a given getting the series win will still be pretty good lads Is that it the late 70s is that when we won the series is that the last time we won down there Yeah we were all we were all born I think <laughs> um, Yeah it's it is a long time ago and I think but I think the one thing in, in Ireland's favour here is of course they went down to South Africa last year. They won that first test, and then they let that series slip away. And I think Joe Schmidt and the whole squad are going to be absolutely desperate to make sure the opportunity doesn't slip away this time. Also, a lot of the boys, of course, won the Lions Tour. Same thing on the Lions Tour. They got, you know, they drew that series. So I think they'll be absolutely determined. So I think Ireland will win the first one because Australia just haven't had any preparation at all. The Wallabies might be slightly better in the second, but you know, I think, and you know. Maybe Ireland might lose the third because the boys might, you know, clock off a bit for that third test. But uh, you know, I, I think the fact that they haven't won for so long down here, and the fact that they they messed that series against South Africa two years ago, I think they're going to be a- absolutely determined. Um, I think one thing you might be surprised is our scrum will probably be okay. I think Ireland will dominate the scrum, but I think we'll hold up pretty well there. But the problem with the, the back line is just not firing like it should so even if we get opportunities we're not just going to be we're not going to be able to use them as, as, as an Australian team may have used them you know a few years ago uh, we still see some big big score lines in Super Rugby and a couple more la- just this the weekend gone I saw an interesting comment from um, Donald Lennon who I know you've You've history with Alex. <laughs> we'll come back to that, right? Um, but uh, yeah. oh, I, I, listen, I like, don't know why I get on very well together these days. Oh no, <laughs> I know. We'll, we'll definitely have a chat with that. I'll come back to it in a second, and I'll explain exactly to the listeners what I'm talking about. Um, but he said, to be honest with you, um, a lot of people don't place huge stock in what's happening in Super Rugby anymore. He's talking about Northern Hemisphere people. There was a time when we'd all look in awe at the quality of the rugby, but now there's a feeling that it doesn't prepare people for Test Rugby. It's a different type of game. I thought that was an interesting comment. It's an, it's an interesting comment. I'm not sure it's completely accurate because... You've got to look at it as two separate groups. You've got to look at it as the New Zealand teams, and then you've got to look at it as everybody else. And the New Zealand teams are playing a standard of rugby that is just years away from anybody, really. The Crusaders, the Hurricanes, the Highlanders, the Chiefs. I mean, not the Blues, they're not performing so well, but those four teams, you take them anywhere in the world and they will beat anybody. And they will mainly they beat a lot of international teams too. They are absolutely extraordinary. They can play a tough game when they need to. They can play an expansive game when they need to. They can do anything. But then you look at the other teams, the Australian teams have not been good at all. They've been very poor. The Waratahs have had moments. The Rebels have been you know, improving. The Reds are a very young squad. Brumbies have been up and down. And also South Africa is not very, very strong. I mean, the Argentinians are actually doing very well in the South African conference. But I think when you're looking at New Zealand teams and you look at a game like the Crusaders versus the Hurricanes, uh, the Chiefs versus the Crusaders on the weekend, um, also the Highlanders versus the Hurricanes. When you watch one of those games, the standard of rugby, uh, the toughness of the rugby, the skill, the execution, the precision is absolutely world-class. So, you know, I agree with Donald in terms of the rest of Super Rugby, but those New Zealand teams are absolutely outstanding. And I've seen, I think they, st- I still think they... They set the benchmark for world rugby, those super rugby teams from New Zealand. And I also think they do play the best rugby in the world, and that's taking into consideration everybody. Yeah, that's well said. 
Um, so here's what we were talking about because we were having a chat before we came on air. So um, you were a former press officer, uh, correct? Yes, I was. Yes, you were. Um, and now, Pat, tell us about the Battle <coughs> of Pretoria and then we'll ask Alex about it. Yeah, um, I, I remember speaking to Alex about this before. It was the 1998 tour in Ireland, um, heading down under under Donald Lenehan and, and Gatlin, I think. And um, yeah, went down to play South Africa and basically just put up a fight. And they put up a fight and they still got absolutely battered. And um, yeah, there's a funny quote from um, from Alex before. Uh, he just said he'd went into the dressing room afterwards and it was just like, uh, yeah, he just said, I think, my God... The Irish were battered and bruised. They were bleeding from all over the place. They tried to give as good as they got, but South Africa boys were a lot bigger and a lot stronger. And, and that was on the pitch. And then after the pitch, uh, Alex and Donald Lenehan got into it as well. Yeah, listen, it's it's Donald and I have a very interesting history. I was very surprised two and a half years, years later when Donald rang me and said, well, I'd like to be the, the media officer for the Lions tour. So, um, so obviously I didn't make an impression, but... Donald, um, listen, that was a, anybody, if you haven't, get on YouTube and watch that, the Battle of Pretoria. It was one of the filthiest games in the history of rugby. It was appalling. And both teams were, teams were I'm not sure whether the did off because they were frustrated with the way the tour was going, but then the, the, the box certainly picked it up. And it was just, I mean, the ball was like 30 yards away and the guys would be bashing each other. It was an appalling game of rugby. It was the most violent thing I've ever seen. Um, and, of course, I was working with the Springboks then, so I was probably closer attached to them. But I remember going into the Irish dressing room because I had to dra- get them to come to the press conference and looking around that room. I mean, every Irish player was dazed, was bruised, was bleeding. And Donald looked at me and said, well, you know, what the F are you doing here? Get the F out, you know, um, seeing me there standing in my Springbok place, which I can understand. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, Donald, you've got to come to the press conference. But... Um, you know, it was a it was a really, really it was just such an odd game of rugby. And there was some great Irish I mean, Keith Wood was in that game. There were some legendary Irish players in that team. But it's just I, I don't know, I think the Irish boys tried to turn it on to unsettle the Springboks. And, you know, these guys are huge Mark Andrew, Crane Watto, Oz Durant. I mean, you don't take those guys on in that kind of contest because you're always gonna lose. Um used Van de Vesta and you know the great man himself there was you know they were Francois Pinot they were big big boys and this was also the 1998 Springboks who won 17 matches in a row so it was uh, yeah I'll never forget the Battle of Pretoria and as I say you know look it up online because it certainly was I mean you won't believe some of the things that went down in that game and if it was played now I reckon about five players from each side would have been red carded uh, the good old days yeah uh, right, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Alex Brune, thank you very much for joining us in the Hard Yards. Thanks so much, and uh, looking forward to a great series. But as I say, I think Irish eyes will be smiling at the end of this one. Hey, <laughs> we'll take that. Alex was not really um, looking forward to this series. <laughs> no, he was. He seemed to be <clears throat> downplaying it a bit. You um, think that there's a yeah, lot of uh, like oh, look. You know what Czech is like, I think, especially from an Irish perspective, that he knows exactly what's going on. Um, but I just think that it's all very much, oh, we're playing towards this, we're looking at the future. I, like, I wouldn't believe as much of the downplaying as they say. And even the Israel Folau deflection of, I'm not really sure about, I haven't seen Ireland play videos, like, he's an international player, they're playing them next week. Surely he's seen videos. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask that mm. if you're if you're week to week. In fairness, w- if I if we just called random Irish squad player into the room and gave them truth serum, there might be some that actually haven't watched tape of Australia in a while. But they might they wouldn't give that answer. I think we have such a fascination with Super Rugby and how exciting it is and or was and how open it is and we'd always have an interest and you kind of there are a lot of Southern Hemisphere players that don't even acknowledge the Northern Hemisphere or acknowledge the Six Nations or well until the contract offer comes <laughs> correct exactly no but like yeah exactly yeah, money talks like but um, but Filet seems to be as as Alex said like he's very controversial in what he says but that's just a bit like <clears throat> that's kind of that writes itself now the team talk writes itself you kind of go in and go these lads don't reach you hmm. 
how we're not rated is beyond me when you're Grand Slam champions number two in the world like you can't have your head in the sand you know and especially where Australia have dropped off a lot in the last couple of years but um, look it's encouraging again to see that he's expect I expect probably a 2-1 maybe 3-0 2-1 and I agree that they might slip off towards the end depending on what changes he's going to make hmm. um, because I do think that it is a long term game yes it'd be great to win the series but it's all building towards World Cup well that's the key point so it's about changes so if we if Joe Schmidt rolled out his first choice 15 Rory Best is now not on tour but first choice 15 from the players on tour um, yeah you could be looking at a 3-0 yeah but that's not really what Irish rugby needs so this is something we need to talk about, about now so Best is out Scannell's now on tour the captaincy um, decision is interesting because there doesn't seem to be a decision yet Pat yeah Schmidt was um, it, before they left there had a little press conference at Carton House and he said uh just dropped in the because all the talk is about Joey Carberry but in the middle of it he just said oh and Rory Best is out of the tour the captain the captain of Ireland is out of the tour and he was asked about who's going to step up and yeah, it was just kind of saying well we've got Peter Matney there and we've got Johnny Sexton um, we might leave it between the two of them but we haven't decided yet so um, you know it'll be interesting to see who gets named at the weekend but what I'm sure they'll stress that the two lads are going to make a lot of decisions but one of them is going to get the nod to Captain Ireland at the weekend Well it sounds like if you when you consider the changes that they're going to make on this tour and people get game time that it might actually make a lot of sense to not have a captain who definitely won't play mm. in one game because I, I don't think we should be surprised Jonathan Sexton is completely out of one of the games Welcome. I'd expect that Yeah like, you know, I'd, There's no uh, point naming uh, uh, him captain Exactly if not and yeah. if Pete and uh, Johnny are on the pitch at the same time fair enough but obviously they're not going to be playing all three tests and you wouldn't expect them to play it because we need that strength and depth we need that sorry we need that game time for certain players mm. like for me it's not a bad thing that Rory Best is out I think we mm. like he's he's old enough now like he's been there done that but the guys below just need a little bit more game time just to get confidence up if you can go down to Australia get a test win <laughs> confidence is going to be flying so you will have come World Cup time you can throw players in who have been there done that as opposed to oh no Rory's injured what are we going to do oh this guy hasn't played much we need to get game time for just <clears throat> just that level below I still think we're extremely well equipped to deal with the Aussies down there mm. um, regardless of missing a couple of players even if Johnny didn't play any tests I think it's not a bad thing yeah I think um, it'd be interesting to see what they go I, I think they'd probably go Cronin um, but it'd be interesting to see if how he what he considers Cronin to be as a player is he this impact player? So you like it wouldn't surprise me uh, for at least one of the games to see Niall Scannell just go straight from being out of the squad to starting a test because I'm not 100 percent sure whether Rob Herring you know like is is going to be the answer if if Best isn't there. So I see Cronin maybe starting that first test because him and the Leinster lads, um, you know, as Alex kind of mentioned, the five Leinster guys, John Ryan is that, that fifth guy, the Munster lad, but yeah, you have the four Leinster props, so so easy for Sean Cronin to slot in there, and he's finished the season so well. Hmm. So we'll talk about the, the Munster signing side of the Joey Carberry thing hmm. later, but in terms of this tour, John Cooney, Ross Byrne, Joey Carberry, these are the people we need to see have game time. Yeah, and I think that it's... Cr- I know before we spoke and I said that I didn't think Johnny would go but Johnny being the competitor that he is obviously wants to go down there and keep playing and keep himself ticking over but I do think it's kind of we're going to be smart I'm going to look after Johnny and if we're we start him we'll take him off early enough and there's no point in bringing Joey down and giving him 20 minutes like he needs to play from the start like it's it's a different game when you're like an international game is different but starting a game of 10 is completely mm. different and, and away and away from home which ultimately is again looking long term World Cup we're talking about like we can win at home which is fine but we need to learn to kind of which we have done win away and be consistent at winning away like and this is a great test for us that we're down in Australia three games and he needs to kind of not just him but the rest of the players just have that extra bit of confidence that look we're going to go to Japan and we need to win away from home it's great winning at home which is fine but we need to do it away Yep, it's also a tour environment mm. so this is different from last summer because there were essentially two tours <coughs> there was the Lions guys on mm. tour and there was the rest of Ireland on a tour to other places now we're all together and this is the last time they will do that as a group before the World Cup yeah. and that's really important as well 
and it's three weeks in a row yeah. like it's not as if it's oh, like no disrespect but like a USA or a Canada or something like that it's Australia three weeks in a row it's the environment where people get bumps and bruises yep. um, people drop in and out it's not just a oh, one off test where it's not it's like the attritional it's, aspect of it shit happens you have to deal with it because the game next week is not going away and this is where like looking back to the last World Cup this is where we suffered when yeah. like we focused I think so much in the Australia game that like you know we won that one and then it was like we were gone then after that you know because it was just that main focus now it's like right we need to be we're better than that now we're in a better position we need to have different players who can step up it would be great to see Carberry and Murray have one test over there together like just to kind of give you because Carberry hasn't really had that yet with Ireland to be beside Murray so um, great to see that uh, I can only see maybe Ross Byrne like I can't see him starting a game but like maybe a couple of bench appearances or mm-hmm. something like that but um, yeah excited to kind of see I'd love to see Cooney like I'm a big fan of Marmion um, and he's done so well for Ireland and Schmidt seems to trust him but I'd love to see Cooney get it at least one start uh, maybe not the first test get off to a winning start if we can but love to see Cooney in there for a good run yeah and a start is important yeah, he's, yeah. He, he's a starting nine yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. That, that's really important um, we'll do a lot more talking about this tour over the next um, few weeks uh, but we'll end that there and we'll be back with a chat with EPC or Director General Vance and Gaillard Murder She Wrote is the perfect thing to watch during the day You can watch the start fall off for 40 minutes come back see the end perfect you know what I mean you've missed nothing really Remember, Rod Kev in the Kalina used to have to bring two TVs into the room, one for you for Cheltenham. <laughs> like every red-blooded male in the country, he'd be watching the horse racing, whereas I'd have a TV for myself for things like Murder, She Wrote and Houses Under the Hammer. Murder, She Wrote is the perfect thing to watch during the day. Welcome back to the Hard Yards. Well, in news this week... Uh, it seems that the Heineken Cup is now uh, back or at least in a form where once there was the Heineken Cup then it changed to the Champions Cup it is now back as the Heineken Champions Cup and I have on the line Van Sangayard from EPCR and Hans-Eric Coit from Heineken um, Hello, thank you very much for joining the Hard Yards um, Firstly to Van from EPCR. Um, this is an interesting move. Uh, the Heineken association with the old uh, tournament was certainly a more a successful uh, sponsorship arrangement. Um, that then went away. I'm really interested in the background for you guys bringing them back on board. Right. Um, an interesting move, perhaps, but a very, very exciting one for us, undoubtedly. Listen, it's a... It simply is a, as we see it, a very natural evolution of, our, of the model that was established four years ago, right? Um, we have been having discussions for a while now with, uh, with Heineken, who had expressed a interest in, in, in reassociating at the highest level uh, with our flagship competition. And when you have a brand of such caliber uh, uh, talking to you about you know, an increased association, you're duty-bound to consider it. And that's what we did. Um, when I when I mentioned a natural evolution, the, the model itself will remain a multi-partner model. Uh, it will just have a, a fantastic uh, premium international brand on sitting on top of it, as we see it. And and what we will benefit from, of course, one the the history and the relationship that we've established over the years, because uh, Heineken has never gone away from the from the partnership. They've been with us for a long time now. But also really the the impact and the uh, uh, of, 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 of a high caliber reputable brand uh, sitting along the Champions Cup which is hugely exciting for us OK um, that definitely makes sense and in fairness as you, the, the association has always been there uh, we've certainly seen Heineken on the goalpost things like that for the last couple of years um, Hans-Eric from the Heineken point of view uh I hope you take this question constructively, but since a lot of people were probably calling it the Heineken Cup anyway, what was the benefit for you guys in making that association formal again? Well, we are, at the end of the day, we are the founding uh, partner of the uh, the Heineken Cup back in, in the 90s. We have a huge association with uh, with rugby, and we think that our name uh, yeah, belongs back to the 
to, to this competition. The competition is strong. Heineken is a premium brand uh, and an important market so in Ireland, France, and in the UK. But we see that uh, television uh, and interest in the Heineken uh, Champions Cup is, is beyond this market as well. Heineken is the only truly global brand, and that's why it makes a lot of sense to put your name back into the title. How does it work in France? I know in the old tournament it used to be called the H Cup. Will that remain? Will it be called the H Champions Cup? Well, that's a good point. We, uh, the, it's all quite new and fresh, uh, so we need to sit down uh, the, together to, with our colleagues uh, and find the right naming what is legally possible for the tournament uh, in France. Um, Vincent, the, uh, certainly getting them back on board, as I say, it's, it's good. It, it, I think the historical nature of Heineken, it's, it's worked and some of this point to all the time. Um, how does this work with your other sponsors? I know, for example, Turkish Airlines have been a major partner over the last couple of years. How does this affect those relationships? Yeah. Um, well, we're having those discussions with them as we speak both uh, Turkey Shaline, but also with Tiso. Um, Tiso, uh, basically, we, we know already will we'll, we'll stay on, and we have a, a long-term contract with them anyway, but the reaction was very, very positive, and really for the reasons that I mentioned before. They'll see that the competition will benefit from both from an increased exposure and, and, and reputational benefit of reassociating with a big brand. Uh, Turkish Airlines, we will see. We're, we're we're at the end of a of a of our partnership of the first cycle of our partnership. Uh, so we're in discussion about their continued uh, involvement, but that still remains to be uh, to be decided as of today. Um, the um, back to the, the the previous point about so we're 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 having really no concern about what it's having what the, the effect that this will have for our current partners. In fact, we're quite the contrary. We'll think that having Heineken at the highest level will allow us. To bring more partners on board, it is still a multi-part model. We're keeping the Champions Cup, uh, the brand that we've been pushing for the last four years, very much alive. We're just uh, reassociating with a hugely exciting brand next to it. Speaking more broadly um, about the tournament, uh, a couple of years back we had no Pro 12 as it was uh, participation in, the, in what I'll call the pointy end of the tournament. Um, this was obviously seen as a potentially troublesome, uh, but the Pro 14 have come back with uh, a bit of a roar this season. Uh, have there been discussions with an EPCR about the potential for South African sides joining the tournament? Did you say South African sides? Yes, I, I potentially. Didn't hear you well. Yeah. Uh, no, there's, has been, there has not been any uh, serious official discussions, of course. We've all reacted, obviously, to the to the news that they were unfolding. First of all, the, the two clubs joined last season, the potential for more clubs from South Africa or elsewhere. But no serious discussions have taken place. Um, I think suffice to say perhaps that for it to happen would require um, uh, a unanimous agreement by all of our stakeholders, and that is the six unions and three leagues. So we're, we're really not there yet. It's not on the agenda as we speak. Might it happen in the future? Yeah, it's theoretically possible, but it will take time before it happens for certain. Hmm. How do you think Bilbao went this year? Uh, listen, after the, uh, the, the, the the few concerns that kept us uh, very much you know, uh, worried for the, the, the weeks prior to the tournament, linked to accommodation and pricing, which we, of course, weren't very happy with, for the rest, uh, it, it will stay as a massive, massive success uh, for... Um, one in terms of what it provided to our core fans, right? Those that traveled and those that wanted or were keen to get new experiences, right? In new places, but also in terms of our ability to reach to new fans, in this case in Spain. Uh, so for us, uh, a massive success um, all around. Um, yeah, Vincent, um, I suppose, yeah, in terms of Bilbao, and, and I know next year, um, Newcastle is going to be the, the destination for the final, and there's talk of maybe even. I think maybe a battle between White Hart Lane and, and the Stade Velodrome in Marseille for 2020 but how do you guys then ensure in the future that you can keep hotel prices down is that something you have to talk with the city about um, you know how do you kind yeah. of keep the flights and hotel prices down for these finals yeah I, I think the, at the very minimum is to uh, 
will be to go to cities that we are comfortable to start with have a, a sort of a higher capacity, if you will, than what Bilbao had. Uh, and then, yes, it's, it, it's, it's doing more work up front with the various host cities to try and block as much as possible, which is absolutely not straightforward uh, because it's a free market and it's, it's very hard even for a host city or for to actually control the prices of their you know private sector hotels. But uh, we're, we will certainly pay attention to it. Um, but I, would, I think, again, it will start by, by selecting cities that have a higher capacity to start with. And the, the, the examples that you've just mentioned have, have exactly that, right? Is Amsterdam a good example, given the new Heineken Association? It certainly is a good example of a city that has an increased uh, accommodation capacity, yes. <laughs> um, okay, the, uh, thanks very much for your time this morning. One, one last thing, just while you're on, Van Sant. Um, the, the case of Heidelberger or K, uh and Stade Francais, um, I, there's been a bit of discussion about this, and I'm going to give a very brief bit of background to the listeners. Um, so in the Challenge Cup, there are only 19 of 20 teams named for next season's competition. And the German side, Heidelberger or K, have been told that they cannot compete because uh, one of their primary um, owners, for want of a better term, is Hans-Peter Wilt, who is also the owner of Stade Francais. And the principle is that you can't have one party owning two teams in the same competition. So the question I'm asking is simply um, one other thing that I have seen brought up and it came up um, when, for example, Moed Altrad was in discussions by Gloucester um, was what is the difference between a private individual um, having an interest in two teams in the same competition and a body like the IRFU, the Irish Rugby Football Union, owning provinces. Can you just clarify that for us? Yeah, I think it's actually quite straightforward. We 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 believe that the, uh, the, the, the the governing bodies, the unions, have ultimately have the long term health of the game uh, as a key objective. Right? That's what they're here for, and that's what they're here to protect. Uh, the situation with a private sector individual or an, is is very different in terms of ultimate aims. Right? Uh, so. We've taken that position early on, in the, as you said, in the previous Altrad Gloucester case. Um, we see the situation of the SRU or the RFU or WR is very, very, very different because their interest is to maintain the, uh, the health of the game, the integrity of the game in their countries. Right? That is the biggest difference as we see it. Uh, and that's why we've taken that position. Okay, uh, that's I think fairly clear. Do you happen? Do you know? Are you able to tell us when the twentieth team will be unveiled? Uh, it's a question of days. Um, it's a question of days. We will be announcing it probably. Yeah, before the, uh, or certainly before uh, before the tenth of June. We have to be ready for the pool draw that will take place on the twentieth of June, right? So we will have that twentieth team confirmed beforehand, way beforehand. Excellent. Um, thank you very much to Vincent Gaillard from EPCR and Hans-Erik Kuyt from Heineken, uh, who are here to tell us on the Hard Yards about Heineken's new involvement, or sorry, renewed involvement as a title sponsor with the Champions Cup. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Sports Joe. Welcome back to the Hard Yards. We're going to take a look at some of your social media questions now. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at, at @thyrugby and use the hashtag #AskThy if you want to get a question in for the panel for next week. Lots in about Joey Carberry. So yeah. this is now the mini Carberry segment, <laughs> right? Yeah. So this tour aside, um, looking ahead to the World Cup, Joey Carberry has moved to Munster. It is now official. Uh, Pat seemed to take people a little suddenly when it actually happened. Yeah, yeah. Because um, the last we had, well, yeah, we, we hadn't spoken to Carberry at all since it all came out and going on for six weeks. And uh, Sexton, Johnny Sexton came out and spoken to us about it after uh, they won the Pro 14 and said, if he goes, he'll be missed, but we hope he stays. And that's where it was kind of left. And uh, then things seemed to move very quickly. I think he met Van Grand then, well, went partying, had a kind of crazy shirt day, I think, on the Sunday, spilled over into the Monday. And then he sobered up and headed down to Munster and met Johan van Graan and must have got assurances about you're going to get a go at this 10 jersey, you know, and you'll. And another big one was like you, you and Conor Murray are going to play together. So uh, it, it was very kind of in the. A lot of the Munster players, you know, weren't sure of it themselves. So I'd heard they'd been getting in touch with van Graan and getting in touch with the coaching staff asking, is this happening? And they were kept in the dark about it. 
and then it came out that I think he was speaking to Michael Corcoran on RT Radio and, and that's where it came out on um, just after the training session he broke the news you start seeing all these tweets you know without any big press release nothing pre-prepared mm just Carberry has moved so everybody was scrambling so I think he d- took people by surprise and, and some people took Joe Schmidt's comments uh, in that press conference that followed he said uh, this is new news to me <coughs> and he was kind of pretending like he was shocked by it but uh, I think the co- the context is important yeah yeah. you know Joe Schmidt wasn't hiding under a rock yeah it's just <laughs> I don't think that people expected it to come out in that way the yeah. IRFU is normally really controlling about messaging and things like that mm-hmm. and this was not the usual sequence you'd see Pat yeah yeah it was just um, as you said everything would have been prepared you would have had statements you would have had Leinster uh, I think Leinster were late in the day getting a statement out there would have been Instagram posts there would have been nice tribute videos and stuff so uh, it took him a bit by surprise so maybe that was Carberry taking ownership of it himself he could again get a, a rap on the knuckles for uh, why knows? did you break it yourself but I was kind of saying like the um, kind of did a piece about it at the weekend that we were talking about before and um, being over at the, the Stan Mams Stadium in Bilbao and all the Leinster guys were celebrating and I remember it in the mix zone and it was a kind of you know in these weird moments where you're actually shaking hands with the players at the end saying congratulations they've got the medals around their neck it was a kind of it was almost like you dropped the front between each other you're happy for them they're delighted as well and so it was a kind of nice moment chatting to some of the guys like Reese Ruddock and Luke McGrath at the end and then you know unfortunately Carberry was the one player who just wasn't given he wasn't allowed or he, he didn't maybe he didn't want to but he wasn't allowed to give press interviews and I remember him just being ushered by us all and yeah, staring you, straight ahead Yeah, I, I read your piece although it was, it was a really <coughs> interesting perspective because you're, you're standing there and, and you were saying essentially look on this day which is just everyone's just happy mm. you know as you said there's, there's a little bit of a drop on the front because everyone's kind of happy yeah and there was still this focus on Joey's going nowhere near those ways yeah you know because you it's what yeah you could you could understand why they did it because like as much as you think the question someone's going to ask the question like yeah. you can't have 10 journalists standing in front of Carberry and not mention Munster or Ulster yeah, so. it's kind of the job yeah yeah so um, but yeah it was a shame that you know like yeah, everybody's chatting away and, and there's him still worried about getting asked the question you know like yeah. so but it's a, but it's a it's a deflection away from what's happened like, yeah, you know like, yeah. like I can completely understand it from like the the press officer's point of view in terms mm. of why would you do that? Because it's not about Joey. This is not Joey's time or Joey's day mm. or whatever. This is us celebrating an unbelievable achievement that they did. Yeah, regardless to have a little, oh, like, let, let them enjoy the moment a little bit, you know, mm. as opposed to, mm. right, what are you doing? What are you doing? And it's like, look, for me, um, personally, I think it's um, like, Joe Schmidt kind of came out with that and I was like, nothing happens without Joe Schmidt knowing. Yeah. He's got complete control. Him and New Sephora, they knew ex- extremely well. I think when you saw the speculation about Ulster and there was hesitation, not a chance he was going anywhere near there. If he did, it was completely forced. Um, he didn't want to go there. Um, I think he's just kind of, he has said it's a rugby decision. I completely agree it is a rugby decision. I think it's a right decision. The, the Conor Murray aspect that Pat mentioned mm. is an intre- it's, a, it's, it's a great sideline yes. like, it's a great sideline I think it's okay just, Ulster is just not I, I think for, for Joey is like an environment a right environment Ulster is not the right environment for him I think he hesitated too long about that so he obviously had no interest so mm. to get buy-in from the rest of the Ulster players never mind anyone else oh the fans yeah. exactly when you see a player <coughs> stalling for that long exactly they don't want to go he was better exactly he was better off staying where he was but he's been smart and he's kind of gone it's not as if like he's played once at uh, yeah. 10 for Leinster this year yeah. mm. it's not as if he's number 2 he's like, he's like Johnny's gone I'm in 10 Ross Byrne is deservedly there um, like he's he's got to play like he has to play and this is a great as we say a great sideline that he's going to be with Murray but he still has to establish himself. There's what uh, they've got five tens there now, yep. including themselves. So we got JJ Keats, um, Bill Johnson, Tyler, Tyler, yeah, and Bill, yeah. So like, that's a lot of tens. It, it is, and look, they're not all going to be delighted to mm. see Joey coming down. But the signal is good, so the IRFU will be delighted with this move. And uh, friend of the podcast, Paul Williams, <laughs> wrote on Twitter that Test Rugby remains the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. That's why Joey Carberry moved. And that's what the IRFU will love, in my opinion, about this. That it sends a signal that adds, if you want to play in the test shirt, you need to do what is necessary. Mm. You know? And, like, Leinster won't be happy. They're getting penalised for success. Well, yeah, but that's... 
and penalised for maybe for developing teams. too yeah. many players. Well, like you kind of got to look at your like look at their own provinces and kind of go, well, we're not developing players, mm. and they seem to have this conveyor belt of players coming out. But like for him to go, like there's an opportunity now for say a Frawley or someone to step up mm. and have a go and. I will say Connacht fans are probably screaming about Henshaw moving to Leinster and saying, lads, you know, turnabout is fair play. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. 100%. But like, it's going to happen more and more. Like, it's it's a business now. It's mm. not just, you have your loyalties, you have your allegiances to your home province, but ultimately it is a business and you have to be to, to play. I think the RFU model is extremely interesting and it works that they have such control over the players that... Like, but but look at the results in the field. It's all mm. about on field, and no matter how much it annoys you or pisses you off, it's it's showing. Like you know, it's like ultimately, as you say, it's all about the national side. Yep. Regardless, it's not as if we're we're privately owned. We're a French club who just pump in money, and it's not. It's all about the national game, and it's proven to work. I find it interesting that people going on about uh, somehow that Carberry is going to be stilted down at Munster. Like Munster, sometimes. It's a bit of a stereotype that like they just kick the ball high and just you know bash teams around with the pack. Like I, I know they have done that in the past, but Carberry is good enough. You know you've seen him at his best. You saw it even that, that little cameo. You saw it against Fiji last year. That he's good enough that Van Gran will back him, and you know they won't veer too far away from this kind of game plan. They often do do this kicking game, and I guess because yeah. Conor Murray is so good at it, they're playing to his strengths. So if Carberry comes in and gets a chance they'll play to his strengths as well like and you know they, they've had Simon Zebo in the back line for a while you know like they, they, they can they ha- accommodate him they have an exciting back line when you, yeah. like you know when, when everyone's fit and available that it's like okay if we have this extra kind of X factor that can unleash that like and, and as a defence you're going to be more worried about a 10 who's going to attack the line more and kind of be more of a threat then it's going to create space for other people outside if you have a back line with Murray uh <coughs> Murray Carberry yeah. uh, back three of say Conway Earls Sweetnam yeah. um, stick Scannell Farrell into Farrell. the centre there's a lot to like about that yeah. there's a lot to like about it and the structure that Murray will provide Carberry to just go and play awesome yeah yeah. I, I can't wait to, for the game the first Leinster Munster game next next season as well and if Carberry's lining up against them and I don't know Jimmy if you ever come across former players like or a lad that maybe didn't make it somewhere and had to move on somewhere oh, else. You oh, know, would, would Arlan, I'm going to layer this up, right? <laughs> so, at one point, how many ex Leinster players did you have in the Munster backline at one point? Um, geez, I, think I remember one training session. Uh, we had um, Keats, myself, Dennis Hurley, Johnny Murphy, Felix Jones, and Conway. Six out of seven. There you go. Yeah. The Leinster. But, like, yeah, but, like, it's. But, you, like,. People say that, but when you're in that environment, you like you buy into it completely. Like you look at what Felix Jones has done; he's a fella who's gone down there and just bought into everything. Like he's nearly Mister Munster, you know. You nearly kind of go to the extreme of people aren't expecting, you know, you to kind of be involved as much as you are. Like, and but you just got to get in there, get down with it, and forget about it. Like it's like as I say, it's kind of a business, but like you got to get immersed in the whole culture and that's why Joey has to get down there and have the right attitude like you saw Madigan beforehand um, he was touted with Munster mm. and it's just like no like it's not gonna like it's, he didn't want to go down there he, so he, it, yeah. like he was like oh no I can't do it but Joey's of a different mindset and that's yeah. good and he's got to go down there and like forget it's, it no one cares like, in fairness to, in fairness there are different stages in their careers as well yeah, yeah you know so yeah. Madigan's looking for you know as you say it's a business he was going to get one, perhaps one more big contract, maybe two, um, and that's what has happened. Uh, Joey has time to invest, whereas maybe Mads didn't have that time. Yeah, but I think it's a similar-ish situation that Mads needed to play. He okay. needed to start as a ten, yeah, and he wasn't, and he made the decision to go to uh, Begle Bordeaux and mm. look. He's kind of like he's kind of fallen off the radar now a bit, hasn't he? And but that just but that but that that creates an opportunity for someone mm. else like you know that creates a Ross Byrne that creates yeah. a Joey Kirby because someone else moves on otherwise you're going to get stagnant and mm. look competition's only good and look as we say ultimately it's all about national size no matter how annoying it is and I can see the frustrations completely from the Leinster supporters yeah. that it's like oh we're losing this but ultimately you got to look at like we're losing this talent no one, no one will be sorry for Leinster 
Yeah, exactly. Like, no. you know, it's not like, Nor oh, should they be. No. You, you were saying, Andy, that you would like to know if, whether it's a loan deal. You know, like... Yeah. But there's well, enough... I, I, okay, it hasn't been released, but I'm presuming he's signed as a... I would... My, yeah. no, my no assumption is it's a contract. The initial yeah, two-year contract is what I gather, right? Ulster was a loan. Like... This is that was a non that was a non runner, like you know, to be honest. I think it was just kind of thrown out there and it was up to Joey to kind of make that decision. But it's for me, he, ha- he if you're committing, you're committing, you got to go down there. You can't go, I'm so, on loan with an, a view to going back. So, if you were if you were advising Carberry, mm. you'd be saying, move down, get don't be doing a commuting stuff, get mm. down there, get a house in Limerick or get a house in Cork, whatever. But I don't think I would even have to say it to Joey. I think he's an ambitious guy. He mm. like, I was very impressed. It's kind of how he kind of came out with things as well that he wasn't done via all the proper channels yeah. and such he was like ultimately I gotta play like I'm an ambitious guy I back my ability to play 10 I want to play 10 I need to play 10 I'm not gonna play here I understand that takes a big man to actually kind of hold up the hand and go right I'm not gonna play here mm-hmm. but for the greater good I gotta go Like, yep. and, and loan deal's not gonna fly like you gotta get down there commit can't go down for 12 months you got to get in there get stuck in alright uh, we're running along um, we have time <laughs> for uh, I think one question today um, this is from Brendan Kelly uh, who would be on an Ireland f- sevens team he's at a fancy sevens team but a sevens team if we could choose from all our top players so this is why you know Fiji they're bringing in to us over other top top players from the 15s game who would we pick from the Ireland contracted game I yeah, like because you're just gonna have to have pace, aren't you? Like so, um, the ob- the obvious one to me would be Jordan Larmer, like just because he can beat you so easily and he's got that acceleration. I know he's only up against a, a Scarlet's forward there, but you could see him outpaced him and he outpaced Halfpenny and, and had time to take the piss and flick the ball up as well. So he'd be perfect for the sevens game. Um, yeah, I'd probably have one, maybe have a couple. One player. Well, Keith Earls, I think as well, be pretty good. Uh, wouldn't you? Gotta, you, you gotta have. I uh, was gonna get. I, I didn't want to take that. Well, I won't. That'll do. But I do think. Okay, if you pick an armor, you have to have. Um, I, I think you need a couple of forwards in there. You need a no, couple of back no. forwards. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Because if you had seven Jordan armors, you're not going to win too many rooks, are you? So, <laughs> yeah. Can I pick Robbie Henshaw as a forward in seven? Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. Oh. Play prop. How's that? That's a good move, isn't it? Like yeah. yeah. Or a Jordy Murphy who can has the skill set to kind of get quick. around the park yeah. quick and break down, but also like astutely aware of what's going on around him, you know, that has that wherewithal of the connection with the backs and yeah. an open game. But the, the the thing is now, we're talking about fancy because these players haven't grown up playing sevens. Mm. So hopefully we're sitting here in 10 years' time and there's another generation who've come through playing a bit of sevens. Yeah, maybe they do get pulled out into the World Series. As you said, bring it to bring it to Dublin. Have a big two day party and like they do in Wellington, you know, in New Zealand, yeah. and just you'll all of a sudden find the interest of a shoot up as well. Like because all of a sudden you're playing in front of sold out stadiums as well. Like so, it's an extra incentive. So uh, something like that, and then anyone who doesn't work out for them, we could uh, go back to that Twitter question about American football and. Oh Jesus! Send them what, over to America. Yeah. What did we start? <laughs> yeah, NFL NFL players converting to rugby, they take over the world. That was the starting point, wasn't it? Yeah. Just check out the at Andy McGeady, isn't it, on, on Twitter, and you'll just see a, oh, a stream oh. a stream of suggestions. Yeah. I have my, my clinching argument is this. Do you know how much game time there is? Actual game time in an NFL game? Oh, Sixteen seconds. No. It's, <laughs> Eleven minutes. I was going to say no. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. They're hard, and they're splitting it to, to offense and defense. So even rolling subs out of the question, that's five and a half minutes. You're not telling me that that converts automatically to rugby easily and even takes skills out of the question. So they walk around. Look, you look like, but you even look at the the longevity of uh, of an NFL career. It's what three years yeah. max. Like it's just look, you get paid a hell of a lot of money. <laughs> but I take it. Yeah, we we leave that one to the yeah. Twitter rooms. Um, right. That's it for this week. Um, make sure to use the hashtag AskTHY if you want to get a question in for the panel for next week. Thanks to James, Pat, Alex and Vincent, to Alan McNan for producing and it is Alan's last day here so thank you very much for everyone. He's got a little bit of a promotion 
in Joe Towers, it seems. Thanks, Al. Thank you. And uh, nothing from James there. No, no. Oh, he's had too many compliments from me. <laughs> <laughs> and Paul Downing and Fiona Delaney were on production. We'll be back next Monday with a new podcast. Subscribe to it on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and every good podcast app to get us straight to your phone. This has been the Hard Yards. I'm Andy McGeady. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week. The Hard Yards brought to you by Sports Joe. To the short side. Before, but I'm the referee on this team, not you. Hi Rob, Zeeb's here. Just want to discuss the captaincy next. He's calling. Oh, when Ring Rose comes through. Oh, that is brilliant from Ring Rose. Ring Rose is going here. What a score!